0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: Faith is an integral part of it because it helps children to know that they're not alone and they don't have to handle all these things on their own. Um, but we have to also remember that children um, don't have necessarily a good idea of who God is and how He interacts with us because, again, they can't see Him, hearing, him, feeling, him, touching, him, or taste Him. So we have to kind of help them figure out how to conceptualize God and how to interact with Him, particularly when they're
2: anxious, in ways that can be calming. And today's guest is doing exactly that. We're joined by Jean Holthouse. She's a clinical social worker. She's been doing that for almost three decades. She recently released a book titled, When Anxiety Roars, Partnering With Your Child to Tame Worry and Anxiety. She says, now more than ever, we are seeing increased anxiety. We need to do something about it today in Connections. She's going to share with us how we can start working with our children today. We're joined today by Jean Holthouse. She's a clinical social worker as well as an author.
0: Jean Holthouse has a great new book out called When Anxiety Roars. We're going to talk about that this morning, partnering with your uh, children to help them with anxiety. Uh, But Jean, before we get to the book and what drove you to write the book, maybe tell us a little bit about your work. You're a clinical social worker. What does your work look like?
1: Sure. Um, I've been a therapist for over 28 years and I see a broad range of people from children all the way to adults. Um, I also manage a clinic and I'm a regional director, which means that I oversee a group of clinics. So I like to stay busy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you do a lot of work with uh, young people, but I guess not just parents too, like you're helping or not just young people, you're helping their parents too. Have you noticed a change in Anxiety, um, like is it increasing in kids over the past couple of years, or um, are we just paying better attention to it?
1: That's kind of a both and. Um, I do think we're doing a better job of paying attention to it, but we we've also been seeing a gradual increase in anxiety. And then with the pandemic in 2020, we actually have seen a sharp spike in anxiety in both children and adults. But I think it affected children significantly because it was this unknown kind of thing that they couldn't see. Um, and they didn't have a lot of coping skills like adults have to deal with it. And their entire worlds got upended. Um, someone was talking to me about the fact that second graders really have not had what we would call a normal um, school experience until this year. Mm-hmm. Um, because they had so many at home things as they started school.
2: When it comes to anxiety, why are more people Talking about it, obviously, like you just said, it's, it's become something that more people are, or children are struggling with. But why are more people deciding to talk about it now?
1: I think we have, um, we're, it's had, mental health has had a stigma attached to it because you can't see a mental illness in the same way you can see like a broken a broken leg. And so there's been a lot of assumption about it being what it is and what it's not and whether it's simply a moral failing or someone trying to not just being lazy. And so it's something that people have avoided talking about as a result of that. But as we've been able to do functional MRIs of the brain and we can see that your brain chemistry is actually different and your brain is firing differently. If you have a anxiety disorder, it's become something we're more normalizing and saying, oh, it's an illness like any other illness. And if we can equip people with skills, they can recover and have really good functioning lives. And if we can give children those skills earlier, they don't have to struggle with it because they can preventatively do some things.
2: Now, when it comes to anxiety, you mentioned a few things earlier as to what's contributing to the reasoning behind why they're struggling with anxiety. But another thing that contributes to a child's anxiety is also their parents. And I know in my household, I am a huge problem for my child because I bring a lot of anxiety into their lives. So tell us a little bit about this and, and how that can really affect our children.
1: Well, you wouldn't be alone. I, I, I would second that in my household, that that was true for me and my kids as well. I think when we have to remember that our children cue off of us, And they look to us to be the stable, calm force. And sometimes there's just a lot of stuff going on in our own lives. And it's very difficult to be that stable, calm force and to kind of teach them those skills for how to manage anxiety because we're struggling to manage our own lives. We are you know, trying to be um, working or keeping the home running and parenting multiple children and dealing with all the financial things. And all those things are stressful. And we may or may not have good skills ourselves. And then we may or may not know how to teach those skills to our children.
0: I really like, like, so important. You mentioned preventative before. I think often everybody tends to, you wait until it's kind of, well, maybe too late's the, a bad phrase, but <laughs> you wait until it happens and then you respond to it, right? But getting ahead of things and making those preventative measures uh, so important, probably.
1: Yes. I think about it like the maintenance on your car. You can do the preventative maintenance on your car, and it has some cost to it. Or you can wait until your car is dead beside the road, and then you're going to have to call the tow truck. And that's going to be costly in a whole lot of other ways. Um, So that preventative maintenance where you kind of do the things and you equip people with skills, it has a cost, but it's not near as impairing to your life as if you wait until it's a really big problem. And the biggest thing we see is people saying, well, it's not that big of a deal not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal until it's a huge Mm. deal. And then it takes a lot to be able to get back to health.
2: Speaking of that anxiety, when do you know that this has become a problem? How do you spot that with your child? You know, you can spot it in yourself. You can kind of spot it in your child, but what are some red flags that say, hey, my child is dealing with something? That's a really hard
1: one. Um, But there are some things you can look at. Um, what we think about is how much is this impairing functioning in healthy ways? So like if your child has a test to take and they feel some anxiety about that test and that anxiety propels them to study for the test um, and that kind of prepares them, then that's a healthy anxiety within a normal range. But if that same anxiety is either making them have to study obsessively and then they still can't do well on the test because they're so anxious or they're kind of frozen and they can't even get themselves organized to study because they're so afraid of the test or what might happen, then we're seeing an impairment in their life. And that would mean we would need to look at, okay, how do we help them get the skills they need so that it doesn't impair their functioning? Um, Same with littler kids, like it's normal to kind of have the fear of going to sleep and maybe there's going to be a monster under the bed. But if that fear is so crippling that they can't sleep any place but in their parents' bedroom, Um, Then when you're like, okay, that's outside of normal, healthy functioning for a child of that age. And that's what you're looking at.
0: One of the great things about your work is, um, you know, you pay attention to faith in the role that it plays with anxiety too. Can you talk a little bit about that and how we can use our faith to approach these challenges with our kids?
1: Mm -hmm. Faith is an integral part of it because it helps children to know that they're not alone and they don't have to handle all these things on their own. Um, but we have to also remember that children um, don't have necessarily a good idea of who God is and how he interacts with us because, again, they can't see him, hearing, him, feel him, touch him, or taste him. So we have to kind of help them figure out how to conceptualize God and how to interact with him, particularly when they're anxious in ways that can be calming. And so those are some of the skills that I kind of go through in the book is how do you help children have a good understanding of how God feels about them, that he's for them and not just waiting up there to kind of punish them when they do something wrong. Yeah. Um, and that he's actively involved in their life, that they can go to him when they're afraid. Um, but that we don't just say things like, well, just pray more. Yeah. Um, how is he a part of the part of the plan? Over that-
0: that's such a great point, actually. I, Well, I've always struggled with anxiety, at times different levels of anxiety. But as a child, a lot of it actually was tied to faith. And in the 80s, growing up in evangelical circles, like there was a lot of anxiety for a little boy around the rapture and things like that. And uh, I know everybody meant well, but maybe we didn't handle those conversations in the best way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we have to remember that our um, children are very literal And they're they're very black and white. So something is good or bad. And if they've done something bad, then they feel like they are bad. And then God might think they're bad, too. So that concept of God as a gracious God, who's kind of like the parent as a child is learning to walk. You know, when our children are learning to walk, we don't like when they fall down, we don't go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did that again and punish them. We're like, yep, okay, let's learn from it. Let's try again. And for them to see God as the person that's for them and encouraging them to try again, And empowering them to get through it is really important.
2: I love this perspective. It's it's something we quite often will forget about. And it's something so simple that we can incorporate into our parenting. Mm -hmm.
1: It's easy to get off track in that and just to be so focused on making sure they're doing the right things and not doing the wrong things that we forget about the importance of helping them see how much God
2: loves them. Now, if you have an anxious parent, how can an anxious parent calm an anxious child? (laughs) I think that's a great place to practice
1: the skills together. And then you both end up calmer. You can still lead a child and you can do it with them. That's part of this partnering piece. It's like not just something that kids have to do. Parents have to do it too. So you can practice doing some of the breathing or the relaxation together. And
2: that that both calms you and it helps your child to learn how to calm. I love the title of this book that you've released, When Anxiety Roars. Because mm-hmm. quite typically, anxiety is not just gonna, you know, whisper to you. Anxiety will start off with a little whisper, and before you know it, it'll be roaring in your face. Why did you decide to put this book together?
1: Um, I thought it. I was trying to find something that would give parents really good resources to both understand what was happening for their child and to feel empowered to help. I think oftentimes we see our children struggling. And it's—I mean—that's one of the most painful things to see your child struggling and feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't know what to do, so I wanted to like provide practical things in the different domains to help parents understand and feel like, okay, these are some things I could start with. And if those things don't work, then we probably need to look at counseling and some of those other things because that's a part of that plan as well. But to kind of give them a framework and some beginning steps.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about feeling words? I don't like that word as a a middle-aged man, feelings, but I know that they're important with our kids. My wife's a school psychologist, so I see her use things like that all the time. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Um, It's really important that kids be able to, to give language to what's going on inside of them, and they don't come knowing how to do that. So they learn what like what the feeling of sad is by something like they fall down, they skin their knee and they're crying and their parents said, oh, you look sad. And so then they associate, oh, that feeling I'm having right now goes with the sad." And next time they're having that feeling, they know to say I'm sad. Um, But oftentimes kids don't know how to give language to what they're feeling. And so um, part of what we have to do as parents is to help identify what is it that's going on for them and help them give the language to it so that they know how to describe it next time when it's happening.
2: You provide some suggestions on how we can help and help improve uh, the anxiety and our parenting ways when it comes to anxiety. Can you tell us a little bit about that and some suggestions you have to help us when it comes to dealing with child with anxiety?
1: Sure. I think one of the, the big ones is recognizing um, that the anxiety is not your child. The anxiety is separate from your child. It's something that's happening to them. That's actually why I chose the image of a lion because um, anxiety is kind of like the lion that's prowling around and it's out there. It's not who they are. And so your job is to work with them as a parent and to be uh, kind of on a mission with them to tame the lion, to tame the anxiety in their life. And that goes for your life as well. So making sure you're not doing things that fuel that anxiety, things like um, kind of helicopter sort of parenting, where you're kind of giving them the message that they can't do it, or that something's going to go wrong, and they need you there all of the time. Um, that's an easy trap. I've fallen into that trap lots and lots of times, and I still have adult children, and I can fall into that trap. Um, <laughs> and it inadvertently gives them the message that they can't do it without you. And that's a pretty scary thing. So we want to be giving kids the message, I believe you can do it. And if it doesn't go just right, we'll figure out how to handle it.
0: Is that kind of like uh, what they talk about in family systems theory, like fusion kind of like the, the, the child ends up then basically not functioning as an independent
1: person? Exactly, and we have to remember that no child comes into this room knowing into this world knowing how to function as an independent person. They are a part of their parent in their mind when they're born, and they're gradually doing that process of separating out and developing their own identity and learning that they can be competent on their own. And if we overfunction for them as parents, we continue to give them the message that they're not going to be paid
2: doing that. So then they stay connected to us. That parents that is just afraid to even approach this because like you mentioned earlier, there's that stigma surrounding anxiety, depression, mental health, especially as a Christian and especially in the church. What would you say to that parent? That's like, I don't even want to get on to the, I don't even want to get involved in this because, Hey, all these people are going to look at me and go like, no, that doesn't exist. Or this is a sin.
1: I think that's that place where you have to look at um, you wouldn't think that way about like diabetes, if we use that as an example. Diabetes is a chemical imbalance within the body. And an anxiety disorder is a chemical imbalance within the body. And if you had diabetes, you would think faith was a part of, you would pray about and, and take that to God. But you would also do some things to change your life in order to manage it. And the same thing happens with anxiety. Faith is definitely a part of it. Um, but we wouldn't view it as a lack of faith if you have diabetes and it's not a lack of faith or sin if you have an anxiety disorder.
2: How important is it now, especially now, to put mental health mental health struggles out in the forefront?
1: I think it's very important because we're still trying to overcome that stigma. And people live, the the average person sometimes can go for years struggling with a mental health disorder without getting treatment because of that stigma. So the more that we can put it out there and say, yes, this is here. Yes, this is real. And yes, this is treatable and you can get better. The more people don't have to live burdened by an illness and unable to do the things
2: that God has called them to do. Was there anything that you learned while putting this book together or discovered that was kind of a shock to you that you didn't know before? I was shocked by how long
1: it can take people to seek treatment. The fact that it can be that people between when they um, begin to meet the criteria for disorder and when they actually get treatment for a disorder can be a year or more sometimes. Mm. Oh my goodness, to live with that level of distress and to not have, have help with it that would just be really, really scary. And particularly because um, anxiety disorders can occur in children that are very, very young, um, four and five and six years old, and parents oftentimes don't recognize it. And so then they go even longer before they get treatment.
2: And that was going to be one of my questions is how young can a child be when they start to deal with anxiety? Because you think, well, they're a toddler. Why would a toddler deal with anxiety? But you just said they're Kids as young as three, four years old are already dealing with it.
1: They, they can be. We see it begin to emerge. Um, four, five, and six is that place where oftentimes it, we see kind of an influx of it. And that's those first times mm-hmm. when they're doing things separate from their family in some ways, too. Um, they're going to preschool and some of those things in, in, in different sorts of ways. Uh, but c- it can start there and go at any age up through, uh, up through adulthood you see influxes of it at different kind of developmental stages. They'll, they'll kind of peak again. Like when they enter adolescence, there's another kind of spike because of all the hormonal changes.
2: Wow. So much to learn, so much to take in for people who want to learn more. They want to pick up your book. How do they go about doing that? Sure. You can get the book
1: any place where you, where you normally buy books, so online or in bookstores, it's
2: available. And if people want to learn about you, how can they go about doing that?
1: Um, you can go to org and look up my bio. Well,
2: that's great. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.